Thank you for tuning in to Hill Country Fellowship's audio podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired as you listen today. For more information, visit us online at hcfburnett.org. Well, good morning. Good to worship Jesus with you uh, here today. And uh, we are uh, wrapping up our Revelation uh, 1 through 3 series on the, the letters to the seven churches. Uh, but I want to start off uh, today with a, with a story um, or really a, a question of uh, if, if it, wondering if it sounds good to you. Imagine, it's not hard to imagine, a hot, humid day and sweating outside, right? Uh, and right now we get the added pleasure of mosquitoes deciding, hey, I haven't eaten anybody all summer, so I will eat you all day long. So imagine, guys, you're working out in the yard, you're working up a sweat. It's hot. You're, you're weeding with one, you know, right here while you're trying to get the mosquitoes off your face. Uh, it's horrible. Moms, you're at cross-country practice in the morning, and then when they run the race, you're actually running to see them three times during their cross-country race. Uh, you're sweating. It's, it's fun, miserable Texas. And then you look over, whether you're a dad or you're a mom, you see that glass of iced tea that you set out there. You're like, yes. And there it is. It's in your favorite glass. It's been sitting in the sun for two hours. All the ice has melted. In fact, it's barely even dripping on the side. You go to grab it. It's been heated up in the sun so much that the glass, it burns your fingers. You take a big swig of watered down, warm-ish brown water. Gross, right? It's just not doing the trick. That's what we've got today as we look at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. As we, as we end this journey of the seven churches in Laodicea, here's this city, and it's, uh, it's very, very wealthy. It's self-sufficient. Um, it's known for banking, for uh, clothing industry, for tourism. They're so self-sufficient and wealthy that when an earthquake knocked the city down, they rebuilt themselves without money from Rome. They didn't take any federal monies, right? So they didn't have any federal government oversight there. If we kind of put a picture uh, there that, that kind of works for us. Uh, in fact, they actually had one or maybe even two uh, earthquakes later that, that did the same thing. And they rebuilt. I'm, I'm thinking after one, I'm out. But I don't know. Uh, they're pretty self-sufficient and believed in themselves. So, so here we are in this place that knows how to get things done and do it themselves and be all about themselves. And so Jesus is writing a letter to the church in that city in, starting in verse uh, 14. We're going to read 14 through 18 uh, to start it. Uh, and if you're a parent, uh, this might remind you of, you ever have those moments when you, tell, you, know, you have your kids, maybe they have a timeout or there's a corner. They said, anybody have like a timeout station in their house? Okay, three of us do. Uh, we have a few corners. We have, we have five kids. We have to have like four corners and the roof or whatever. Um, but sometimes the kid is like, you go in 15 minutes. Sometimes it's, you might sit there until you graduate from high school because uh, this is a bad day. And that's kind of what we get here. Jesus is about to lay down. You're going to sit here till high school's over uh, for the Laodicean church. So he says, Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. Write, this is the message 
from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. He was establishing for them, hey, I'm it. I am your testimony. I am the faithful witness. I am the one and only. I was there before the beginning and then I made your beginning uh, and I am all that everything is about. He's saying, I am the I am. I know all the things you do that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like a lukewarm glass of iced tea in Texas, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Some versions that you're reading will say, I'm about to vomit you. Some say, I will spew thee, if you're reading King James. Uh, One says, reject with disgust. If you're reading the Amplified, it says all of those and 17 more. So, um, but he's saying, it's grossing me out how you are. Jesus is telling the church, I'm grossed out by how you are. Those are big words. You say I'm rich, I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That's a lot of ands that are all negative. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that's been purified in the fire or by fire. Then you'll be rich. Also buy white garments from me so you will not be ashamed, not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. So here's this, this uh, writing to this church here in Laodicea where it sits in modern day Turkey. It sits kind of at the base of these snow-capped mountains where the water, you know, as the snow was further down, it would, it would create this refreshing cold water flowing down uh, when the snow melt would happen in the warmer parts of the year. A lot of fresh, nice, refreshing, good-tasting snow you know, melted water would flow down to the city. And then over here is some hot springs bubbling up, very medicinal. That It was a, a place where people go for healing and restoration and a lot of like clinic kind of places there. And so Laodicea is kind of right in the middle. So as these would bubble up and meet the snow-capped mountain water, it would create this beautiful, spectacular sludge of meh. Just gross water. They were known for, even in their tourist place, when you'd like get the water, it would kind of smell and have a, a grossness to it. That's what Jesus is, is talking about. They would get the lukewarm versus the hot and cold very vividly because of where they sat as a city. And Jesus is saying, your lives as a church is kind of like, meh. You're just, you're just there, you're not, you're not refreshing and you're not healing to anybody. So the cold that Jesus is talking about, even though sometimes people, we don't know exactly for sure, so we're, we're gonna take context and content and we're gonna run with that for the cold, not cold like, I don't like Jesus. Because he is talking to the church and he is saying, I'd rather you be cold or hot. Why would Jesus tell a Christian, I'd rather you be like, not follow me? So, what he's most likely referring to here, because the fact that they, if they go up the mountain a little bit, they're drinking like crazy because it's so refreshing and cool. He's referring to being cold, which is a refreshing blessing, a help, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
a joy to someone. When, you, when you're outside and it's hot and you know the AC is cold inside, is that not nice? If somebody has their remote start in their car and it's 105 and they're like, oh, I started it four hours ago and the air conditioner's on blast, you're like, I'm getting in your car, not mine, right? So the cold is a refreshing. The cold is something that's inviting and attracts you. And that's what Jesus is most likely talking about. The hot, we know he's talking about a healing place. He's talking about that you're, my bones ache, my body aches. And I'm going to go get in the hot tub and turn up all the blasters. And I'm going to rest. And I'm going to chill in this nice bubbling up hot tub or hot springs as they would have it in person there. Both are needed and both are wonderful. And that's what he's talking about with the hot and cold. And then the lukewarm sludge, on the other hand, nobody wants that. It's good for no one and nothing other than Keep it away from me. And Jesus is telling the church here, that's what you're like. What about, you know, uh, an, uh, you take that scenario of the story I told at the beginning. It's hot. You're miserable. You're working for four hours outside. You've got like grass trimmings and sweat and dead, dead mosquitoes on you. And Jesus walks over and says, I just made you some ice cold sweet tea. And I actually froze the ice myself. You'd be excited about that. What if you were uh, in the middle of winter and your throat's getting a little scratchy and you're feeling a little achy and Jesus said, I made you some hot tea with some, some, some lime and honey from my favorite, you know, beehive. And he hands it to you. That's, that's medicinal. That's good. That's going to help my throat and make me feel a little more revived. So Jesus, as he's talking here, he's saying, be one or the other. But what he's saying for sure, which is our big idea today, is don't be lukewarm. You can't be lukewarm and call yourself a follower of mine. It grosses me out because it's gross. That's what Jesus is saying. When Jesus Christ, your savior and your defender and your protector and your king says, the way you're acting makes me want to throw up. We better listen. And we better not go, well, not me. Now, it might not be you. I'm not saying it is. But you better take inventory. If the word of the Lord ever comes to us and Jesus presents something in red letters, we better stop and go, okay, Lord, is this me? Uh, I'm not going to live in fear, but like, is this me? Do, do, are you trying to convict me of something so that I can be set free? Holy Spirit, are you speaking to me here? I mean, verse 17 tells us that this church was trying to live without Jesus as its centerpiece and focal point. They looked at the culture around them and they said, that's what we should do. They're self-sufficient. They're worshiping other things. They're, they're blending in. Let's just be like the culture around us. They were letting culture dictate life in church following Jesus. The self-reliant city became self-reliant believers. If you ever find yourself going, oh, Jesus, I got this. Let me handle it. Know that you're living like Laodicea. And that's not a healthy thing. They'd become comfortable, complacent, self-satisfied. Probably when, when he, you know, these seven churches that we've read, five of them had negative things said about them. And in all situations, compromise had worked its way in. 
And that compromise was whatever the culture is, is what we take on as our identity, or at least we mix the two. Well, when you mix sewage, one spoonful of sewage in a whole vat of wine, what do you get? Sewage. Anybody want to drink that wine? Not unless like you're about to die and you're like, I'm just going to roll it, right? Nobody wants that vat of wine because when you mix any amount of wrong and death and wickedness and sin and the world and Satan's ways in with your Christianity, you get sewage Christianity. That's what we learned in one of the earlier churches. They were deceived here. They were, they had removed Jesus from certain areas of their life. And when you remove Jesus from any area of your life, you're removing Jesus from your life. They were deceived because that's what Satan desires. He always desires to deceive you and I. He knows why we were created, how much we're loved, what a full life in Jesus is meant to be for us. And he wants to keep us from that. He doesn't want you living a full and abundant life. He wants to, to thwart your fullness in Jesus. He wants you living less than by, by tricking you into believing lies or, or trick you into chasing this or pursuing that. And he'll say things like, Think about what following Jesus means. What you got to give up? Sacrifice. Jesus wants you to sacrifice? How much pain is in that? What a happiness killer Jesus is. What about your dreams? I mean, if you're doing all of Jesus' bidding, you don't get to do anything you want to do. Those are all the lies or similar ones that the enemy will feed you your whole life. And we have to... Realize we're never free from the enemy attacking us with, with throwing thoughts at us. We don't have to abide by them. We can take them and we can grab and toss and we can live free from them. But he's not going to be like, well, you're saved. I can't attack you now. He despises you because he hates that you're the object of God's full affection. That's part of the enemy's hatred towards humanity is he knows because he was there when, when you know, God unfolded the plan to the angels, whenever that was, I'm going to create man and I'm going to pour all of my affection into man. I don't need humans, but I want them and I want someone, a bunch of someones that we can as a Trinity God pour all of our love and affection into. And so the, the enemy knows that we were created to receive all the love and affection of God, and he despises that. So he's going to work against you, but don't be in fear, but live mindful. What Satan doesn't tell you, because he hates the thought of it, is that a life of discipleship, of, of being like Jesus and thinking like Jesus and caring for and loving others like Jesus is exactly what you were made for. A full and abundant life comes when we live like Jesus. And so he doesn't want you to step into that at all. I mean, being a refreshment to somebody who's dried up and their soul is parched and they're broken and they're hurting and they're, they need sustenance, they need refreshment. When you can bring that because you have this cold, refreshing, life-bringing stuff in you, that's, that's what gives you fullness and abundance of life. That's when you start to fulfill your life in Christ. And there's plenty of people around you. 
whether you're at work or it's your neighborhood or uh, you're going to school or your kids are, are doing uh, sports with this, this person and you know that family. There's plenty of people around you who are dried up and broken and in need of refreshment and you carry that because you love Jesus. So give that away. Bringing heath, uh, health sorry, and, and healing and, and strength into a, a hurting person's life. Maybe they're hurting because of their dumb decisions. Maybe they're hurting because of sickness. Maybe they're hurting because somebody did something. But there's a hurt there. There's a brokenness there. And you can bring in that hot healing power like those springs that bubbled up. That's when you get to live out the joy of Jesus in your life. That's what Jesus wants for you and from you. Jesus wants you to discover your purpose and the the joy that comes from living out that purpose that's found only in him. He desires that for you. That's the life, the cold refreshing or the hot healing, that's the life you're created for, to live out. So don't be lukewarm. Because remember, lukewarm is gross. Jesus says, I'll spew you, spit you out, vomit you up, get rid of you with disgust. None of us want that. None of us want Jesus to look at us and go, yeah, I got to rid rid myself of you with disgust. That's harsh. And he doesn't want that either. He wants you to accept and and repent and step into fullness of life. But the the Laodiceans here, they had become slackers. They were pretenders. They were in big trouble. Not because Jesus hates them and is mad at them. They're in big trouble because abundant life matters. And they were heaping shame on themselves as they were living like the culture around them. So when Jesus says, so I advise you, imagine Jesus coming and saying, I have some advice for you. You think you're going to listen? And, And to do it so gently instead of, you must, and sometimes he does, gives us must. But here he says, I advise you to buy gold from me. Gold that's been refined in the fire so that you can have wealth that comes from me, what I consider wealthy, which is not a money status. It's, it's a purified, I mean, the streets of heaven are gonna be gold. So obviously that there's, there's a refined gold, but it's, Jesus is not talking about about finances, although he could bless you that way. He's saying, you get from me what you need to live a wealthy life. He says, buy white garments from me. You're you're living in sin. There's, There's shame here. There's darkness here. If you get your white garments from me, I put the robe of righteousness around me. You are no longer dark before me. You are seen as bright white before me. You're right with God. A robe of white represents righteousness in Jesus, being made right with God. And then he says, get ointment to take care of the eye trouble you have. You're seeing things wrongly. And your eyes are sick. So get my ointment so that you can be healed and see correctly. It's like, like if I take these off and somebody waves at me, I'm like, I don't know. And then I try to read. I'm like, well, I could do this for as hard as I can. I could get most of it except for what I write in my margins. But then I put them on. Oh, I can see. And Jesus has ointment. We don't even need glasses. We just put the ointment on. We can see clearly and live clearly and walk clearly. And then we can also see what's absolutely wrong and what's beautifully right. 
That's the ointment he's saying, come get that from me. He's saying here, think about your soul. Think about your spiritual life because that matters to me. And again, it's not because he's mad at those who are living lukewarm. It's because Jesus corrects and disciplines the ones he loves. If you ever stop getting corrected and disciplined by Jesus, you might want to have an uh-oh moment, okay? You know? Because he says, I correct and I discipline. I speak to things in the lives of those that I love that love me, that are found in me. And it's difficult to hear and embrace at times. We're very human in our humanity, right? So, so there's this awkwardness of, of convicting love coming into our presence. It's like, if somebody's like, hey, we need to have a talk, and you've been making poor choices, what's, what's going to start happening? Sweat beads, plans have to be made instead of wringing the hands. The worst, my, my, uh, my old principal used to do this. He'd be like, Scott, we're going to talk at the end of the day. Like at 8 a.m., I'm like, no, no, you're just messing with me. And then I run through my mind, what things have I not been caught for yet? Because that was, you know, my thinking. I think he couldn't have known that, no. And then, I, and then I'm confessing everything. He's like, oh, I was going to ask you if your family's doing anything this weekend. I'm like, oh, no, escaped myself up. But there's this awkwardness of, of convicting love of somebody coming and bringing something to us. It just is what it is. We're not going to get around it. Nobody's going to be like, man, I'm looking forward to all the things that I've done wrong this week being talked about by someone. Uh, nobody does that. We're human. But Hebrews 12 does tell us that God disciplines those he loves. And he only disciplines those he loves because they are his kids. The ones who are actually his own. So when Jesus says in Revelation 3 verse 19, I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference, your lukewarmness. This is love. This is helpful. This is life bringing to you. It's not pointing the finger and getting right in your face and being like, I'm going to punish you until the day is over. It's Jesus saying, I love you. You're my kid. You're my son or you're my daughter. When the Holy Spirit highlights something that's off in your life or your pursuit or your thinking, when you're living in a way that's wrong and you're made aware of it, when, when you hear that something specific like getting drunk on the weekends or, or having sex outside of marriage or, or pursuing money or fame above Jesus goes directly against God's word for your life, when you hear any of those things spoken to you or said to you or brought to you by the Holy Spirit, you are hearing Jesus read you a letter written in red. And it's a little hard to take in the moment, but it's only like we've seen in all these letters, even the church when he said, you think you're alive, but you're dead, there's a, there's a remedy there. And so you have a choice to respond to that and be set free and healed and forgiven to be transformed or not. If you're living wrongly and you choose to remain there or just dismiss it, indifference, it speaks loudly about your relationship with Jesus. I'm not making the judgment of whether it's a true relationship you have with Jesus, but it still speaks loudly 
That's on Jesus and on and your decision. But if you say, I'm going to live this way and I don't really care what Jesus says and I'm kind of done with the whole mm, Jesus thingy, I'm just going to coast, that's not healthy. And I don't know what that means exactly because that's not my place in eternity to decide. But I can look at it and go, that doesn't look like a life found in Jesus. It looks like a life of indifference found outside of Jesus. It looks like a life without discipline. And a life without any discipline in it, we read in Scripture, that's a fatherless life. You belong to no one other than yourself. And that's where Psalm 23, 4 is so beautiful, even in it's like, ah, oh, I'm not always the biggest fan of it. David speaks loudly when he says, your rod, God, your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. The rod which is meant for correction and protection, the staff, which is relationship and fellowship and communion and guidance. Those are the things, he says, that, that protect and comfort me. There's healing and life in heeding your rod and your staff in my life. But if you say something like, hey, every time I blow it or, or, or mess up or I cross the line, I, I feel convicted that's great. That's actually awesome. If you're like, man, every time I blow it, I feel bad inside. Good. You have a conscience that God's speaking to, and he's trying to bring conviction in your life. Conviction is sometimes difficult to take, sometimes not so difficult, because sometimes we're like, oh, yeah, I'm boneheaded. But sometimes it's hard to take, but it's always life-bringing and hope-filled. The enemy will condemn you. Shame on you, you're sorry, it's a lie, you're a fraud, blah, 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 blah. Jesus will say, hey, you're doing this, it's not healthy for you. I have better for you. Would you respond to me and, and just let me forgive you? That's life bringing and hope filled. So if you feel that thing nudging you in your, in your soul and you're like, man, it's hard. Good that you still feel that. That's great. That's choosing greatness like we're talking about today because you're choosing what God has for you. And that's what's happening here for the church in Laodicea. They're not doing well and Jesus is bringing, his, bringing attention to it because he loves them. So what about you? He talks about three different temperatures, right? You have hot, fervent, passionate, you're, you're hard at following Jesus. You're, you're convinced. You're sold out. You bring this, this healing and this restoring nature to others because of your life. You're like a medicine. Or maybe it's cold. It's refreshing. It's inviting. It's attractional. It's soothing. It's life-bringing. It brings respite from something that's trying to make you pass out in life. Or there's lukewarm, indifferent. I'm bored with Jesus. I'm fine as I am. I know enough. In fact, I know better. Maybe you say things like, who cares? It's not a big deal. Who's to really say? All of it summed up in three letters. Meh. When you're standing before Jesus, be it tomorrow morning, I hope not, or 10, 20, 50 years from now, would you want your life described by God himself as, yeah, he lived a life of meh. None of us want that. Some of us still choose that. That's what's so hard. It's this pull. 
That's what the church was facing there. That's what compromise tries to do. We're studying this, we're wrapping it up, this Revelation series, and of course, we, we learned the very first week, the word revelation, it, it means the unveiling. It's the unveiling of Jesus, the, the revealing of Jesus and his heart to us as followers, as, as churches, that he has to be the center of everything in our life or we're off, that compromise is trying to always make its way in. And that's why he says, don't be lukewarm. It's gross to me as your creator, and it's gross to everyone around you that I want you to be my witness towards. Choose greatness. Choose the greatness that Jesus has for you, the greatness that Jesus is, the great I am. Choose that and then live out of the overflow of that in your life, the way everything was designed. So Jesus, he presents the issue to them. He also provides the remedy to them. Verse 19, basically saying, hey, repent. Change your thinking. Change your direction. Change your aim. Live convinced and free in that. And it's a now thing too. He's very clear. Don't wait on this. Make this decision now. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and and, uh, and 13 say this, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. The idea is to act right away, repent Quickly, whatever you know or what the Holy Spirit brings in your life again, respond to that. And he's saying here, if you do and you repent and you, you accept my forgiveness and then walk different because of that, you'll live out then what verse 14 says about really what a great life is. He says that if we choose this we, and we live faithful to the end, trusting him firmly, that we'll share in all that belongs to Jesus because he's our brother. After all, we're co-heirs uh, with Christ. So verse 20 of Revelation 3, when Jesus knocks, he says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and you open the door, I'll come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Man, what a, what a loving thing. He's talking to those who are believers here. Now, certainly this passage, Behold, I Stand at the Door and Knock, can be, can be shared when we're, when we're talking to somebody who's lost. But in this specific context right here, right now, he's talking to believers. He's talking to those who call themselves believers. He's talking to the church. He's saying, hey, church, I'm right outside. Are you gonna let me in? If you don't open the door one day, the knocking's going to stop. But I want to come in, and I want to do life with you. Because friends do life together and eat meals together and talk story together. And I want that kind of relationship. I don't want a religious relationship, and I certainly am not going to be a, a friend in a far distance because that's not a real friend. I want to be right there in your life. So we open 
or we ignore. Those are our choices. To not answer the door, to not say yes, to, to not change our thinking and, and behavior uh, by, by walking in repentance, that's to say no. I'm going to say yes or no. I'm not going to say anything gray in between there. And then in verse 22, he wraps it up with this. In the same way he's wrapped up basically every letter, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. If you have ears to really hear what Jesus Christ is saying, you will listen, you'll take it in, and then with understanding, you'll do what he's asking. Change your behavior, repent of this, stop putting this in front of Jesus, make him your focus and aim, don't live like the world around you with compromise, whatever it is. So what do you want to do? What do you want to do in your life right now or in your, your relationship right now with you know, your spouse or maybe your relationship in your family? What, what do you need to do right now? I mean, do you need to, to repent of something and, and ask the forgiving God who made you to forgive you? Because he'll forgive you. If you ask, do you need to invite him in your life for the first time? Maybe you're listening online, you're watching on Facebook, you're, you're here today, and you've never made a decision to have Jesus be your Savior, Jesus be your King, Jesus move into your life, and you basically hand him the keys to your life and say, you're in charge, I follow you, I believe in you, you're everything to me. Maybe you've never made that decision, and today when you open the door, it's for the first time ever. But you still have to open the door. Do you need to just be real and say, Jesus, I, I can't, I can't deal with this thing, whatever this thing is that's got me, that's bound me, that I'm, that I'm chasing, that I'm addicted to or infected by, I, I cannot get rid of this on my own. Maybe the thing you need to ask today is help me, Jesus. The Holy Spirit is your helper. And he, Jesus is your ever-present help in times of need. If you're stuck in something or with something or pursuing something and you can't stop, that's your ever-present time of need. And Jesus says, you ask and I will help. Only you can ask for yourself. Only Jesus can heal and save and redeem and renew. But he's going to wait for you to ask. He's not going to force it upon you. I mean, he even says in this passage, I advise you to do this. And he's saying, I'm knocking, but I'm not going to bust the door down. I'm going to ask you to stand right now. Here's the thing. Jesus really, really likes you. He really, really loves you. He really, really wants to do life with you and wants you free and whole and pursuing him alone. He really doesn't want to see you go down a path that's going to be destructive. He wants to be everything to you and for you. But you got to ask. As I was preparing the message this week, on Friday morning, I just got this sense of the Lord is saying, I really want people to, <laughs> to just ask me. Whatever it is they want to ask me, I will meet them there. 
you might be like, Jesus, I'm struggling with really deciding if I want to pursue you with my whole heart. So would you meet me there? I remember, and you've probably heard the story told, I'm driving between Seguin and San Marcos. I'm going to college in Southwest Texas, and I've been living a duplicitous, compromising life. I believe in Jesus, and it's all true, but I once got in charge, and I like doing these things. And I was exhausted in my life, so I finally said, I'm done. And I pulled into this abandoned parking lot of this building that had, had just like gone belly up. And I said, Jesus, when I leave this parking lot, I'm either following you or we are done, done. Because I'm going to choose me fully for the rest of my life or you. I hope you convince me you're, you're, you're right. I know you're right, but I don't want you to be right. But please convince me. And if not, I'm out of here. And I wrestled for four hours. In that little old Chrysler LeBaron, sitting there yelling, screaming, crying sometimes, having my, my own personal critical thinking of why my way was right. And I, but I said, I need you to convince me that you're worth following, even though I really know you are, I just don't want to. It was a weird both and kind of thing going on. I believe, but I don't really want to believe. And he met me there. I mean, if I'm in charge of that moment, I'm like, I'm going to smite you out of existence. Like, if I'm the creator and somebody's talking to me, a creation is talking to me like that, I'm going to be like, I'm going to end you, which is why I'm not the creator, right? But Jesus is not that way. He came down and became a human so that he could live a perfect life and then die on the cross in our place. So he'll do anything for you. He died and he beat sin and death and he came back to life. And he says, hey, now you want that new life? You can have eternal life while you're living on earth. I did everything for you. I'll always do everything you need. But you do need to choose. You do need to open the door. So some of you today, you need to say, God, I repent. Jesus, I need your help here because I cannot do this. Or maybe for the first time, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want eternal life. But that's your decision. You choose greatness or nothingness. But don't live lukewarm anymore. Jesus, we thank you for your amazing pursuit of our lives. You pursue and you pursue and you chase down and, and you're reckless in a way that says, I'm coming through to save my people. I'm kicking down doors I'm jumping in a raging sea. I'm going to run up that mountaintop. I'm going to go into that deepest ravine. I am coming for my kids. And if they'll let me, if they'll put out their arms, I'll pick them up. And I thank you for that part of your reckless love for us, that nothing can stop you. And you're not sitting there trying to calculate exactly the details of what need to happen. You just do. And you just pursue and you just come after and come after and come after because you're for us. So all across this room today, I pray that, that sons and daughters of the living God would respond to your conviction in our lives and of the stuff maybe we're doing wrong. And we would say, forgive me, help me. I choose you all the days of my life. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening. For more sermons and full service replays, visit us online at hcfburnett.org. God bless and have a great week.